0: All of a sudden, an angel appears. And um, this angel announces to him that his wife, though old, though she gets the senior citizen discount at Denny's, will conceive. Okay? She will conceive. It's an amazing thing. It's unlikely. It's unheard of. This is actually going to happen? And he doubted. And so the angel caused him to become death and mute. He walks out of the temple and people saw this. And they were amazed. They're like, wow, this, he must have seen a vision. Later on, Elizabeth conceived an amazing thing. And I, I, I think about that, I'm like, wow, this is already incredible events happening here. You move down to verse 26 and Gabriel appears again, but this time to a virgin who's engaged to Joseph. And The angel informs her, though, that though she is a virgin, though she has faithfully uh, saved herself from marriage, she will also conceive um, and give birth to a son, who is the Messiah, who is the Son of the Most High, and heir to the throne of David. And she was told that the conception would be of God. So, angels visiting twice with amazing conception stories. You go down to 39. The unborn John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb in the presence of the unborn Jesus Christ as Mary entered his presence. They're not even born yet. And John is inside his mother's womb leaping for joy when he heard the voice of Mary knowing that she is carrying the Messiah. Again, incredible. Incredible. Verse 46, what is referred to as the Magnificat, which Kerwin preached on last week, recounts how Mary understands she is so blessed. And although she didn't really fully understand everything that was going to be taking place, she understood that she was highly favored, that God had set her apart for a task, for the task of giving birth to the Messiah. Verse Uh, Moving on to verse 57, Zechariah's voice returns. When he announces and he writes down that his son's name is to be John, even though his neighbors were arguing that John is not a name that is in his family. And he confirmed, no, the baby's name is going to be John. And at that point, he received his voice back and his hearing back and, and... Um, the neighbors were in awe of this event. And so, so many things going on. And and then finally, um, well, uh, I should also mention that in verse 67, he proclaims in a prophecy that his son would be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. I mean, he's getting this insight. And then in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, Joseph also receives um, divine revelation that his wife, is pregnant because God had done this in her. And so you have all of these events coming together. And to me, as I read it, and if I'm reading this for the first time, I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be intense. This is going to be incredible. God is coming to the earth. And why was this such a big deal? It's because of the fact of what I was talking about during communion. The idea that God is a promise keeper. This is a big deal because God is keeping his promises to Israel and to the world. Well, finally, here's the much-anticipated account of our Lord and Savior. It takes me to Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, which I have called the overlooked visitation. It reads, it reads like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to a son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then, I, you know, if, if I'm just casually reading it, I don't know if you've ever read and all of a sudden your brain, you kind of just space out, you're down two paragraphs, and then you're like, wait, when did that happen? I think that might happen here. You're, you're, you're reading, and then all of a sudden, wait, you, you go down a few more few more sentences and you're saying, wait a second, Jesus was born? And you're like, yeah, wait, I I, I just missed it here. Because that's it? That's the account of our Lord Jesus Christ's birth? This great buildup, only to read that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This script would never have survived in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, we got this great story, and it builds up. And then it just kind of like, almost like a letdown. Like, okay, very quiet. I mean, you're expecting, with all these angels and all these miracles already happening, you're expecting some great event. I don't know, comets or flying and, and flashes. I don't know what I'm even thinking of. But I'm just thinking of something more than, oh, yeah, Then he was born in a stable. Well, what led and what contributed to this overlooked visitation? Because I think Luke is, is trying to, to show us that that this did happen really you know on the down low. This was really something that was that was quiet. Well, verses one to three in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Luke doesn't really give us specifics on in those days, but but we have a general idea here and Um, Of course, we we see Caesar Augustus is is the emperor. And in those days, Caesar Augustus would have been considered the greatest man alive. I mean, commentaries have suggested that if you were to ask anybody in that empire, who is the greatest man alive, they would all say Caesar Augustus. Because Caesar Augustus was a man that not only was a great ruler, people had considered him to be a god. They put him up on a pedestal. And it's important for us to understand the greatness of Caesar if we're going to understand maybe how Jesus was overlooked. Because if you have a great man like Caesar, what do we need a baby for? Big deal. A baby was born. And perhaps nobody's even looking out for that. Nobody's even thinking of that. In this passage, we see that the Jews were allowed to follow their custom of going to the ancestral home to register and uh, undoubtedly, a lot of traveling would have would have occurred here. But as we move down to verses 4 and 5, we see the registration of Joseph and Mary. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. That's a mouthful. There's a lot, He gives a lot of detail right there. But I think the the detail is so important because it uh, once again points to the fact that God is the ultimate promise keeper. Micah 5.2, in the Old Testament, prophesies this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. There's prophecy that somebody great, the Messiah, would, would, would be born in Bethlehem. And, and the thing is is that God orchestrated these events so that, they, so that Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem because of the census, because of the events taking place. And it happened. And, and perhaps that's why people weren't, weren't looking out for it. Well, this guy's from Nazareth. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. And Joseph, being of the house and lineage of David, he traveled with his betrothed to Bethlehem. And I want us to just take a few minutes, a few moments here to, to kind of just think about the events surrounding, surrounding this. Um, first of all, his betrothed. Joseph was engaged to Mary. I know that in our day, engagement carries a different idea. When I was engaged to Ruth, we had the option to call off that engagement at any time without any consequences. And people do call off engagements, and, and probably it's probably a, a good thing to call it off before you get into the marriage and, and realize, you know, this is not going to work to recognize that in the engagement period. However, in those days, Engagement is a little bit different. Engagement was actually just as binding as marriage. And if you wanted to get out of the engagement, uh, you had to present a certificate of divorce. So when we hear that Joseph was engaged to Mary, they were almost considered like husband and wife, but they had not consummated the marriage yet. It says that Mary, though, was with child. She was pregnant. Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, which if you've never read it, it's it's a really interesting book. It helps kind of, lets you look at the life of Christ from different perspectives. It's a challenging book. But he says, in the modern United States, where each year a million teenagers get pregnant out of wedlock, Mary's predicament has undoubtedly lost some of its force. It's true, isn't it? It's true that maybe we, re- we read the story and say, ah, so what, she was pregnant. Big deal. We see that all the time. We've almost become n- numb to it. That's because we live in a sexually saturated society. We gloss over sexual sin. Because not only do we see it, but maybe we've experienced it and we've seen other people go through it. And... We see it over and over again. And so when we look at this situation, we don't really feel the impact that they would have felt back in that day. You know, speaking of of sexually saturated, this is kind of a side note. I I saw a story on MSNBC the other day that said that 20% of teenagers are doing something called sexting. Um, you know, combine the word "sex" and texting, and basically, you have teenagers sending sexually explicit material via text and picture messages. And and they were talking about how harmful this actually is. And one girl who had sent an inappropriate picture to her boyfriend, I guess, on on the phone, um, he then passed it around to everybody in the school, and they began to ridicule her and tease her and and mock her till, until she finally took her own life. And um, I just think about the fact that our culture, I mean, where, where do people think, well, this is okay to do? I think it's just because we've become so numb, and, 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 and we've become so, I don't know, just maybe jaded by, by all the sexuality around us. And then, of course, we bring that with us when we read Scripture. And we read this account of Mary and we think, it's not that big of a deal. I don't know why they're making such a big deal about that. Well, though Luke doesn't mention this, Joseph was not overjoyed when he found out that his wife was pregnant. And perhaps other husbands uh, think that they can relate to that. Oh yeah, I know. I, exactly. But again, the situation was different. Matthew 1, 18 and 19 kind of, Matthew shed some light on this situation. Um, What he says is, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Why did Joseph have such a difficult time with the idea that Mary... Was pregnant? Well, like I said, before, uh, during this time of betrothal, the engaged couple were to remain sexually abstinent. And actually, sexual activity during this time of engagement, even though, like I said, they were bound legally, it was considered sexual immorality or sexual impurity. And so, Joseph knew that they had not yet come together. They had not yet been intimate. And yet she was pregnant. And in his mind, he could only assume that she had been unfaithful. This is why he wanted to divorce her. They had not yet been married. And, he cheated, and she cheated on him in his mind. And I'm sure he was confused because what we read about Mary is that she was very godly. He must have been thinking the same thing. I don't understand this. This isn't really fitting together in my mind. And so he was thinking more with his heart than his mind. He didn't, he didn't figure it out. He was, he was reacting perhaps more with the hurt rather than saying, like this actually can't be true. There has, she has to be telling the truth. And he decided to divorce her quietly. Joseph respected and he loved her, but perhaps his up- upbringing would not allow him to be Married to an adulterer, perhaps he was. He, he thought, no, there's just no way in my mind. I'm, I'm going to stick this through. I have the right to divorce her. See, it wasn't only ridicule though that drove, that drove Joseph to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to punish her for her supposed sin. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery in the act of adultery and brought to Jesus, and the scribes and the Pharisees. They wanted to use this situation. To test Jesus and say, you know that the law of Moses demands that this woman be stoned. And we remember, right? Jesus said, "He who is without sin, cast the first stone." Jesus is the ultimate judge, but um, it just shows us the severity, though, of of adultery. Where in our culture, adultery is is almost expected in a marriage. In fact. Family Life Ministries with Dennis Rainey says that 40% of Christian marriages will experience adultery. Yet, in those days, it was not tolerated. Understand, though, that after Joseph was assured by the angel, because he was assured, by the way, uh, an angel came to him and spoke to him and told him that, no, Mary is pregnant because this, is, this happened as a result of what God had been doing in her. After this, though, still think that Joseph still had to carry the appearance of sexual immorality. I mean, if you put two and two together, Joseph and Mary are engaged. Mary is pregnant. What's the assumption? Joseph got her pregnant. And so there must have been some embarrassment or some, you know, maybe some stares or some some, people talking behind their backs and saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe that they did that. And he has to know, well... I know the truth. I mean, really, what was he going to tell them? No, it wasn't me. She, she woke up like that one morning, and I mean, God impregnated her. I mean, I mean, really, it just, it would sound ridiculous, wouldn't it? I mean, who's going to believe him? But he knew the truth. He knew that it really was of God. I just think about the Christmas story. While it does bring so much hope to us, it was, it seemed like it was a difficult time probably for, for both Joseph and Mary. Even though they knew that God was doing something great and awesome. This probably wasn't the way that most people had envisioned the Savior, the Messiah, visiting. And perhaps that contributed to the overlooking of, of the visitation. They never imagined the Messiah would come with so much controversy surrounding him. And then we get down to verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I love to eat at restaurants. I loved it more before we had kids because we had money. Um, However, I hate when I get there how they assume that I'm some sort of disgusting glutton with no no regard to self-control. Why do I think that? Well, I've observed this. First of all, they come to me and they say, um, would you like to start off with something? Well, first they say, would you like something to drink? And, of course, you get a Coke and get it refilled about four times. And then they say, would you like something to start off with? And let's just take Outback Steakhouse, for for example. Um, I love the Outback. Uh, I could pick another restaurant as well, Chili's or Olive Garden or one of your favorite restaurants so that you don't just judge me. Um, but... Can I start? Can I start you off with something? Yeah, I'll take the cheese fries with the bacon on top. And it's interesting because after, when I'm done with those cheese fries, now they come in a smaller, I have like a smaller portion. It used to just be the big. And when you, when I was done with those cheese fries, I was like, you know what? I'm not really that hungry anymore. But I realized it was too late because I had already ordered my steak. And before I realized I had made a mistake, they plopped a soup. Bacon potato soup in front of me, and like an obedient dog, I just—they <laughs> take it away, and they throw the steak with, side... of course, it has side, you know, side orders of loaded mashed potatoes and steamed vegetables because I want to stay healthy, and then I wash that down with Coke, <laughs> and uh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling to take that last that last bite, and I'm just like, must eat what I paid for and I'm in pain and it's it's worth it but um, I, I really believe that they think I am seriously a glutton with no regard to my body and, and really it's, it's all all my doubt and suspicion is erased when the server comes up to me and says oh did you leave any room for dessert I'm like what do, I, do I look like some starving orphan that walked into your restaurant and just can eat the place? No, I have no room. No room at all. So I kindly try as, as nice as possible to say, no, can I have my check, please? Well, I'm not going to lie. The dessert does look good. <laughs> but I really, I, I really can't uh, fit it in because I've really stuffed myself with other things that's what happens when I think of no room in the inn I, I think really? there was really no room in the inn? even the president of the United States when he came to Chicago got better treatment than that closing off expressways And was this not God stepping out of heaven onto the earth? did he not deserve red carpet treatment? I mean it blows my mind to think of this, that they could not find room anywhere for Jesus. Could you imagine if the Queen of England had visited the United States, she, and as she arrives to her hotel, she's informed that they made a mistake, there is no room for her in this hotel. You know, I would be willing to bet my Star Wars DVDs that they would find room for her. They would actually they would make room for her somewhere. Okay? They would not just put her out and say, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to sleep um, at your gate at the airport tonight. No. So why didn't they make room for Jesus? Why wasn't that a priority? I think because they didn't, I think they did not know that he was the Son of God. I'm pretty sure that if the innkeeper, whoever is making these decisions, knows that this is that this woman has God inside of her, you know. That he would have made room somewhere. Take my you know what I mean? Like take my room. And he would make room. But it's like me at Outback. I think the people had fed themselves these preconceptions and these expectations of what the Messiah would be like. If this was a royal person who had come to the door and, and said, Hello, my wife is with child, the Messiah. We need a room. I'm sure that they would have. Yes. Oh, no problem, sir. We will work it out. But no, it's too poor, a, a poor couple coming in. And it's not what they expected. And so they fed themselves with with all these preconceptions, and they had no room in their minds and their hearts to say that this is the way God can be coming. No place for a king. Instead of a grand entrance into the world, Jesus was born and placed in a manger, which was pretty much a feeding trough for animals. Before I continue, I ask you this question. If you have children, would you have rather had them instead of the hospital or... Your house, or some people I I hear have them in airplanes. uh, Would you rather have had the baby in a stable? Do you wish that your child's first crib was actually a feeding trough for animals, for barnyard animals? And for some reason, it just doesn't carry the bragging rights. Oh yeah, well, you know, my child was born in a in a stable. No. Have you ever been in a barn? You don't walk in and savor that smell. No, you're like, oh, this is disgusting. And yet, this is how, this is the, the, condition, this is the environment in which Jesus was born. It's, it blows my mind that we often pursue lofty lives. That we want so badly to fit in in this world. And I'm guilty of it. We want... Comfort. We want nice things. And we see that Jesus himself was born in a stable, placed in a manger. And he lived his life. He was consistent. He lived his life like that, poor. And I think that these things contribute to the overlooked visitation, even in our own lives. But as I move down to verses 8 to 20, I call this section, The Unlikely Visitors. And um, it was read for us earlier, and the angels coming to the shepherds, and we'll go over it, but I just want to say that could there be a more contrasting turn of events here? Jesus' birth, quiet, overlooked, um, nobody knew, and then you have this event with angels appearing to the shepherds. Well first of all let's let's look at verse 8. And in the same reason, region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, "Fear not for behold I bring you good news of good news, I'm sorry, of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Now the shepherds performed an important but not really glamorous role in that society. Though the Bible does speak Fondly of shepherds referring to both God the Father and God the Son as shepherds, right? And, um, and yet the shepherds are still a poor class of people. and yet God chooses to bring his message to these people. And this is very consistent. Luke is, is very intentional, I believe here um, in, in sharing this because um, later on Luke reveals in uh, Luke 4:18 and 19, uh, Jesus gets up and, and begins to read scripture, scripture in which he fulfills, saying that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is Scripture from Isaiah and Psalms. And this is what um, the story of Christmas is really is really all about is that God came down from heaven to earth to proclaim good news to the poor and hurting. Are there any here today that are either poor or hurting? Or both? Do you know the good news of Jesus Christ? He came to this earth to redeem mankind by paying the price of their sins with his own death. And this is more than just paying bail. He actually served the sentence as well. You see, you deserve to die and spend an eternity in pain and suffering. And if you're wondering who I'm talking to, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself as well. We all deserve to die. Our sin has offended God. And the price for that is an eternity apart from God in hell. But that's when Jesus Christ steps in. You see, are you willing, though, to say, well, I don't need Jesus Christ, and are you willing to, to pay that price for eternity, an eternity of pain and suffering, for at best 100 years of this life? I wasn't. That's why I gave my life over to Jesus Christ. Because I knew I was a sinner. I know that I am a sinner. I know that it's only by God's grace that He sees me as righteous. I know that if I were put in a court of law, God's law, that the prosecution would have overwhelming evidence that I was a sinner. And that that evidence would be growing by the second. I understand that. I also understand it. That's why Jesus came. He came to die for us. But understand this, that as the angels came and proclaimed this message to the shepherds, it also reveals another thing about God's good news. It reveals that His good news is not just for the rich, but for all of mankind, for every single one of us. There is... Here, we see some revelation. We often think that there's only one book of revelation in the Bible. And while there's only one book titled Revelation, we see revelation throughout the Bible. God revealing himself. According to Charles Ryrie, revelation is a disclosure, especially God's communicating his message to man. In God's revelation to man has been commonly um, classified in two ways. General revelation and special revelation. General revelation, real quickly, has, um, is, is pretty much God revealing himself generally um, to all of humanity. And it can be found in these areas. Nature, history, and humanity. In them God is revealed. For example, in Romans 1, 18-21, it says that God has revealed himself to, in nature, so there is no excuse for man to even talk about atheism. Because he has clearly shown himself over and over again. In, um, in creation, and I was just hearing the stat on, on WMBI that five um, percent of all the atheists in the world live in the United States, or less than five percent, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, not a big number here in the United States, but um, but they're trying to make a push for for atheism here in the states. And it always blows my mind why 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 would an atheist care what I believe, but. I I would challenge an atheist to visit places like the Grand Canyon, Esses Park in Colorado, Yosemite National Park, the Bonneville Salt Flats, or even ride the rapids of the New River in West Virginia. You see, I've done all these things, and each one reminds me that there is an ultimate and perfect artist out there that sculpted these things, that ran his finger through and created the river and, and separated the canyons and, and formed the mountains and, and just leveled out these salt flats. An amazing, an amazing thing when you see them in person. Special revelation, however. Millard, uh, theologian uh, Millard Erickson says, that special revelation involves God's particular communications and manifest- manifestations of himself to particular persons at particular times. In other words, he reveals himself in ways that, that we would not otherwise know just by looking at creation. And he does these in certain, certain times. He does these in historical events, in divine, divine speech. Um, you know, sometimes God spoke audibly to people. Um, and the incarnation, basically, the birth of Jesus Christ. And that story is a special revelation from God. And it reminds us that God is faithful to his people. And as Jesus grew up, he continued to reveal things to man about God. And we can know who God is because of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing. And so these angels, as they spoke to the shepherds, it was a special revelation. And they said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And um, and the shepherds there understood something and, and that they had not otherwise known that Christ had been born. And then a great company of heavenly hosts came in and, and sang. And, and I just real, I think of that scene. And, and if you think about a concert that you've been to that you spent a lot of money on, because you know that this is like a top notch concert, imagine being front row to a choir of angels and hearing that and um, the harmony, the beauty, the music that just fills the area can't imagine what it would sound like i'm sure it was something that impacted them forever that was the good news revealed to them next verse 15 the good news was acted on after the angels went up to heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go to bethlehem and see this thing that has happened and um the a- angels they just went straight up into heaven God sent those angels, this big deal, just for the shepherds. They weren't going around and, and, and doing this in all other places, just for these, these lowly shepherds. Such detail that God has. But the shepherds say, let's go. Let us go. And the shepherds immediately, immediately took action and decided to go check out this thing that had been preached to them. And this was not an act of unbelief, you know, oh, we got to see and make sure this is true. No, they believed, and that's why they did go. It was, what was surrounding this, what was at the core of of their action, it was faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is really at the core of who we are in connection to Jesus Christ. Good works cannot bring us to salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not not a result of works that no one may boast. So when we observe the action of the shepherds, we must understand that it was driven by faith. They were not justified because of their actions, but because of their faith. So the, the good news was acted on. Then, in verses 16 and 18, 16 through 18, we see that the good news was then shared. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Like I said, it's not a lack of faith. For Psalm 34, 8 tells us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we experience God, it gives us more reason to go out there and share it. Um, My sister-in-law and brother-in-law were in town this summer. And so my family went with them to the—I hate to say—Willis Tower. And um, I used to preach that the John Hancock was so much better. It's so much better than the Sears Tower is. And um, but I said, all right, whatever. I know they want to go up it and just say that they were in it, whatever. And you know, you hear about those ledges that they built, those glass ledges, and all right. But I'll tell you what—it quickly changed my opinion. When I, when I experienced those ledges of, of the Sears Tower. Um, basically, they have these, these ledges that, um, you know, you have your windows or whatever, but then there are areas where the ledges stick out outside. They kind of protrude outside of the building. And it's just all glass, all the way around. So you can take a step onto the glass and see Wacker Drive, one thousand like three hundred or something feet underneath, whatever. And... Um, I, I, I'm going to admit, when I, my first step, my, my legs became a little weak. I was like, wow, this is intense. My, not my kids. They just ran on. They're like, oh, wow, cool. And, but it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. It's worth the price of admission. Um, and so now, if you ask me which one to go to, I'm going to tell you the Willis Tower, not... John Hancock Center. Because I experienced it. So, I'll, you know, I, to me, since I've experienced it, I'm, I'm a little bit more passionate about it. I think that when we experience God, we become more passionate about Him. Perhaps we don't share Christ with others because we've not experienced Him in a real and deep way. And during this Christmas time, I want to challenge you to experience Him in a real way. I'm not talking about just becoming all emotional. I'm talking about opening up his word and praying through maybe the birth stories and saying, how can this apply to my life? To listen to other people speaking on it, talk about it with your friends, and then go out and share the good news. If Jesus Christ has done anything for you, share that. If he saved you from eternity in hell, share that with people. And then finally, the good news was celebrated. Verses 19 and 20. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. C.S. Lewis in the Grand Miracle says that the whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes to a little point, as small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. And so this amazing plan of redemption that God had Comes all the way down and was fulfilled with this with this girl praying and then um, she delivers the Messiah. And she must have been on an emotional roller coaster. At times feeling completely alone, especially when Joseph wanted to divorce her, who would who could understand what she was going through? But we see that. At this time, though, she takes it all in. She ponders these things. She takes time to reflect on them. What an amazing thing that has happened. And the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. Why do we sing Christmas songs? I don't mean Rudolph. I don't mean silver bells. I'm talking about the ones proclaiming Jesus Christ. We do it because we have a hope in Jesus Christ, and we want to celebrate that and praise God for that. In a town that overlooked the visitation of God as a baby, a group of shepherds did not. Though unlikely visitors, they went out and shared the good news. Might we overlook his visitation this year? How have you been preparing your heart for the celebration of Christmas? We have a Christmas Eve service. It is a tradition of ours, but we don't do it just mainly because it's a tradition, because we have to, because we feel obligated in any way. We're a church, we need to have a service. No. We do it to prepare our hearts for the next day, when we celebrate the birth of the most important person that ever walked this earth, and may God forgive us for being selfish when it comes to receiving gifts. May He forgive us for getting caught, caught up in what we caught what we refer to as the hustle and bustle. It basically means that our, our focus has been misdirected from God to shopping for others or anticipating receiving gifts. Do not overlook his visitation this year. Also, be an unlikely visitor. Share this hope with others. And as Adam already pointed out, invite people to the good news of Christmas, to our, to our play, to those performances, to church during this time. Maybe you feel like you're not the best with words. And that's okay. Bring them here. And perhaps God will give you an opportunity still to share with them, even though you're not that great with words, just to share your heart with them. Be an unlikely visitor in somebody's life, sharing with them the hope of Christmas, the hope of the Messiah in their lives. At this time, I'd like to invite um, the, band, the band to come up and... Um, and lead us in our final song. But I'd also like to invite...